0: A reading from Isaiah, chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. O Lord, have mercy on us. Be to God. The passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John the 19th chapter. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The greatest offense in the church is the cross of Christ. It is the scandal of scandals, the stumbling block of all nations. The crucifixes in the sanctuary are veiled now. The image of Christ is cloaked in darkness, as Christ was covered by the darkness of sin and death and judgment. On Eutica Sunday, Jesus hid himself from the Jewish leaders so they wouldn't stone him before it was the right time for him to lay down his life. The knowledge of Christ and the atonement was not revealed to the wisdom of men. Hence why the crucifix is then veiled until Easter. There is a hiddenness about the cross. It is foolishness to the human mind. What God has done there confounds the best thoughts and wisdom man can think up apart from the spirit of God. A veil of ignorance concerning these matters remains upon the minds of all who are perishing apart from faith. Consequently, the sight of the cross is an offense. What God has done there appears ugly and nasty. So many, even some Christians, shy away from the sight of the crucifix. However, a nice, sanitized, empty cross, they will more easily accept. But why show the suffering or dead Son of God? It seems so cruel, so explicit, so brutal, so sorrowful. Naturally, we like the beautiful Savior, but we do not like the hideous Redeemer. whereas as our Lord said to the prophet Isaiah, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised, and we esteemed him not. The ugliness of Christ's cross includes this, that we, the human race, those who were made in his image, rejected Jesus Christ. We did not want a Savior. We did not want him to shed his blood for us. The very best of the pious among us might have said with Peter, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. We did not want nor think we needed the ugly nasty atonement. A nice, gentle, pretty atonement, please. But that is really the old Adam pulling the wool over his own eyes. We do not want a redemption by blood because we think that our sin is not that serious. But it is most gravely serious. Our sins reveal a rejection of the law of God, his holy ten commandments, a lack of fear, love, and trust in him. Our sins show a rejection of his right to judge us, which is also why we naturally turn away from the crucifix. We want ourselves on the throne and God serving us. We want the right to complain to him when things go wrong as if he were some kind of hireling, an employee whose work performance we have the right to evaluate. We want the right to make our own choices, determine our own course, and follow our own heart as if we were pure in heart and mind. When we desire to be on the throne as judge, we don't realize what that means. Christ shows us. He says, here is the throne, and he allows himself to be nailed to a cross. He says, here is the crown, and they press a crown of thorns into his brow. That is what the king does. He dies to save his people. Nowhere is Jesus more the king than on the cross, that ugly, nasty place. Christ is indeed the king of glory. He is exalted on high, lifted up that he might draw all men to himself. Yet his appearance, as he wants to be known to us, is utterly shocking. What he considers glory is repulsive to our flesh. The banner and flag of Christianity is the cross of Christ. If we learn by the Holy Spirit's teaching, we see the cross as the wonder and majesty of God's love for us sinners. We learn to love the image of our Savior's suffering. We are taught what true glory is. To us, the knowledge of the Savior has come. As Gentiles, we had good news of great joy come to us. We were not Christ's people without any right to his heritage or inheritance, and yet his testament is also for us. As it says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice that it says all and not some had their sins placed upon the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. He would not allow any sins to go unatoned for, even though many will not receive the benefits because they reject Christ, the benefactor. But for us who, by the Holy Spirit, see the truth of his cross, we know that he has died for us. Therefore, Isaiah says, for that which they had not been told, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall consider. So we see the sight of the Savior crucified for us. We see our sins placed upon his body on the tree. We see our salvation written in his blood. This is the meaning of what the prophet writes. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. They're our sorrows, not his. He, the beautiful, holy, and glorious Son of God, is his, in his immaculate grace... He should have never even shed a single tear in his whole life. But his desire, out of love for us and obedience to his Father, was to carry all the pain that belonged to us, all our shame, all our anguish, all our guilt. Our pain should have been eternal. There should have been no end to our suffering, no comfort for our sorrows, but Jesus took it on himself as John proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the very core of the scandal of the cross. The cross shows us like a mirror what we deserve. If we reject that, then we take offense that anyone would judge us that harshly. The sinful flesh says, Well, surely I don't deserve hell and all of its anguish. The sinful flesh balks at the sober truth that the guilt of our sin can only be removed by the atoning sacrifice of the Son of God. But if by the Spirit we believe the truth and we confess, this is God having mercy upon me, the sinner, then we see Christ's crucifixion for what it is, the most precious treasure and revelation of God's love. The prophet Isaiah says, When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, or literally, he shall see his seed. Now, the word seed usually means descendants. But Christ had neither children nor wife, at least not according to the flesh. Although he did not have children by blood, well, he had them by the shedding of his blood. He created his family and household by the redemption he suffered to accomplish. This seems to be the meaning of that difficult word that the prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The difficult word comes where it says that Christ will be called Father. But Christ is not the Heavenly Father, although He is equal to the Father and one with the Father. Yet Christ does have children in that He begets us by His redemption. By the cross, we are made His people. We are born from above in the waters of baptism, which unites us to Christ's death and resurrection. So we are His children by faith. Or to say it in the words of Isaiah, By His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. That Christ creates children by redemption is clearly the meaning in our text today, because Isaiah says, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Therefore, it is in the act of suffering and dying that Christ creates his church. As Jesus said in John 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We are given birth by the forgiveness of sins which flows from his shed blood on Calvary. Or to say it another way, because he died, we live. The prophet Isaiah said of Christ on the cross, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Therefore Christ cries out, It is finished. Before he reached the cross, Christ was filled with sorrow, and he wished it were already accomplished. But when it was all completed, accomplished, And fulfilled, then our Lord was satisfied. He had accomplished the most magnificent and wonderful thing ever done. Not just a magnum opus, but the opus maximus, the very greatest work. None better could exist ever. If anyone is to be righteous, it must be through faith in this work of the suffering servant, Jesus. By knowing and trusting in Christ by faith, we are declared innocent by our great God and judge. There is no other way to be innocent in God's sight. The Lamb of God, our good shepherd, is the gate to the sheep pen. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. This is the main point of the text and of the crucifixion of Christ. If we are caught up in distracting questions like, how could God let his son suffer so much, then we're not going to get it. Or if we take offense and say, the cross is too ugly, or the cross is too Roman Catholic, then dear saints, we miss the point entirely. But if we learn to know Christ by faith, through the cross, then we get it. If we see in the cross of Christ the defeat of sin and death, then we have what we see. If we see that the crucifixion of Jesus is our victory. And by the Holy Spirit, we understand properly. The thief hanging next to Jesus on the cross, he understood. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief was not distracted by the ugliness or the tragedy or the injustice of Christ's crucifixion. In fact, the thief, he knew his own sin and he knew what his sin deserved and he was receiving it. But as he looked in faith to Jesus, he saw the King of Kings entering his kingdom. By faith, he saw the truth. He saw the Son of Man and Son of God in whom one must trust and call upon in faith in order to enter God's kingdom. And so we join with him and cry out, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Crucified Lord, remember us also in your kingdom. We cry out to him in faith, in trust holding on to all of his blessed promises fulfilled in his death on the cross. We cry out to our crucified and risen Lord, knowing that he sees us, he hears us, and he loves us. He will never forget nor forsake us. We will surely enter his kingdom by his grace. Christ, our mighty king, has won the battle. As the hymn proclaims, sing my tongue the glorious battle, sing the ending of the fray. Now above the cross, the trophy, sound the loud, triumphant lay. Tell how Christ, the world's Redeemer, as a victim, won the day. Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent, Satan, and carried away the spoils of war. And we are those spoils. Dear saints, you are the spoils. You are the treasure he carried off from the devil's kingdom, where once you were held captive in your sinful wretchedness. Glory be to God alone. All this is by the wonderful mystery of God the Father's holy and suffering servant taking the place of sinners, of you and of me, of all humanity. He was numbered among the transgressors so that we might be numbered among the saints. And so we are. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Almighty God, graciously behold this your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and delivered into the hands of sinful men to suffer death upon the cross. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, you willed that your Son should bear for us the pains of the cross and so remove from us the power of the adversary. Help us so to remember and give thanks for our Lord's passion that we may receive forgiveness of sin and redemption from everlasting death. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.